what if we opened the door but didn't shut it? My name is Matthew Kroll. And white people shit, man, I tell you. My name is Shahir Dowd. Hey, this is the only <laughs> podcast about the film Talk To Me. Hey, I'm New Zealander, which is close enough to Australia. I can get away with saying that. I actually, I don't know if I can, to be honest. So yeah, you yeah. can. Yeah, you can. It's a thousand percent fine. There's there's, <laughs> there's a lot of white people shit as a, as a, as a, well, as really, a connoisseur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, who's, yeah, you know, because it is a Pacific Islander, I believe, who says that in the film. So I, I, you know, I gotta be honest with you, I enjoyed watching this because it reminded me that there are unique cultural differences, even though we're, you know, like New Zealand and America, Anglo-Saxon, you know, both watch the same television shows and stuff. Yep. There are unique cultural differences that you don't realize until you see them or experience them between the Australasian countries yeah. and, and America that are like, like the biggest one in this movie is a mom at the teenagers party. That's, okay. that's like a, I, I was like, Oh yeah, 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 that would happen. And I was like in America, I don't know if that would happen. I, okay. In, in my uh, high school days, yeah. one or two of the parents in the friend group would be around sometimes okay. for a party. Okay. Right. Um, not, normally like at the start of it and then they'd like go to bed or yeah. go out or do something yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was they, for the beginnings of them it felt normal but also i guess the other big difference that i kind of noticed is that um it's really bad actually in new zealand and australia binge drinking among teenagers uh -huh. is kind of a not just done thing but accepted thing sure and and that's it's kind of odd uh it's not it's I don't think it's something we all think is good, but it it happens, <laughs> you know. Like, so I, I've I've actually been looking at uh, a couple things. Apparently, like, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the pandemic. Maybe it's a couple other things. But like binge drinking in in teens, like the, like uh, binge drinking and sex and drugs is like down for some reason oh, here. Cool. Uh, <laughs> is it good? Yeah, that's good. Right? I, I think it's good. I have no idea. As a parent, idea. yeah, I think so. But you know, then, but then like other things like adults. Addiction to uh, opioids, okay, yeah. and and prescription medicines is like way up. Okay. So, I, look, uh, we're just kicking the can down the road. Yeah, I know. For people listening in, they're like, "What are you guys talking about? What is this show? <laughs> are we here to talk about a movie or you know, like social uh, constructs that we've developed over the years between Australia, and New Zealand, and America?" The answer is yes. Yes, all um, of those things. Yeah, we no, we're talking about ta we're talking. About talk to me. About talk to me. Talk to uh, me. A film. We are. We're talking. We no, are talking talk to me right to, now. Oh, I, let me bring out my hand. Hello. Oh, that's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I do happen to have a skeleton in the room that here yeah. grabbed his foot. A lot of skeletons uh, in Matt's uh, closets. They're not even in the closets. <laughs> I know, they're, they're literally they're... just lounging about my apartment. Um, this uh, movie uh, kind of shocked me and came out of nowhere. Before we get into all of that shock and awe, however, I do believe we have some emails, electronic correspondence Shahir. Yeah, thank you everyone who's been emailing us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com We've been a little bit slow to get to these uh, Apologies, we've had guests, we've had difficulties in the schedule, so we've um, compiled a few of them here, we'll be going through these over the next couple of episodes, um, and we also uh, try to keep these away from the release of movies as they're out, so uh, some of this will relate to Asteroid City, some of this will relate to Mission Impossible It's been quite a few weeks since those films have come out now, uh, these aren't heavy on spoilers or anything like that but these are the kinds of conversations that we just don't want to have immediately as the movie's coming out and right. everyone's trying to go see them. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, but first then, from Kellen, who writes to us about Asteroid City, it feels as like it's been quite a while since we got a good old-fashioned Matt and Shahir have nearly total 
opposite opinions about a movie episode. So your discussion on Asteroid City was quite a treat. Go back and listen to that. You know one thing, just before we continue with this email, <laughs> I've noticed, man, okay. is that our disagreements are far more polite than they used to be. Maybe. Do you think, Do you think so? Yeah, I, I, that could just come from getting older. Yeah. And, uh, and also just knowing each other and like knowing what like will will cause an argument. And it's like, well, do I want to go down this road or do I not want to? I wonder, you know what it is? <laughs> yeah. I think, I don't, so short answer is yes, yeah. I have noticed that. Yeah. The, the, the connective tissue to that is, I think I am no longer interested in like having a knockdown drag out fight with you about a movie unless like it's like yeah. in my blood. Yeah. And and lately, right. the in my blood movies we've really kind of uh agreed upon. I yeah. would say something like Asteroid City. Yeah. Uh don't get me wrong, I really did love that movie and yeah. I think we had a good sort of back yeah, and forth yeah, about yeah. it. But it was never something that I felt like I gotta, I, I gotta I, make my I point about to, this. I yeah. need to, like, yeah. like You're a legit wrong. fight, <laughs> knockdown verbal brawl. So it would be amazing to have a knockdown verbal brawl about Asteroid City. I mean, that is the most non-knockdown verbal brawl. We kind could of movie. do it, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, back to Kellen's email. You both covered a lot of picture picture stuff, so I just wanted to share my thoughts on something that really stood out to me: the kids. Along with Anderson's usual themes of grief and his loss of innocence and dysfunctional families, this has the most kids and youth-focused stories since probably Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. I think this really stands out with the performances throughout the film. All the adults act and speak like 1950s TV stage actors putting on a performance, but the kids all act like real kids in real life. Within the play, maybe the adults felt like they had to put on the facade for their jobs or because they feel like they have to protect the kids or not give into emotions and use uh, logic to tackle aliens and grief alike. Meanwhile... Everyone 17 and younger embraces their emotions from almost the start, but especially after the close encounter. Whether it's the teen geniuses in their clubhouse or the school kids uh, with their class project and Augie's three daughters being witches, they all seem to be having a better time in Asteroid City than all of the grown-ups. Any thoughts on this? Thanks always for your great discussions and insights. Uh, thanks, Kellen. Yeah, I think kids in Wes Anderson movies is a really interesting thing. There's a... Um, uh, a thing that has been evident since... I, I just rewatched Bottle Rocket... Um, and I also, uh, Rushmore's one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, there's a thing in Wes Anderson movies, which is that he always, it, it's kind of a running gag in his movies that every kid is more adult than the grown-ups. Like, sure. straight from Bottle Rocket when, um, I forget the character's name, played by Luke, uh, Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, he goes to visit his sister, and his sister is much wiser about, you know, everything that's going on, uh, right away. And it happens in Rushmore as well with the kid right. who played, um, uh... There was a kid who played Dennis the Menace. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, actually, I um, as far as kids are concerned in his films, or actually, I'll just say Moonrise Kingdom because that's sort of the most fresh in my mind. Yeah, I didn't notice them. They definitely had like more, I guess, like emotional energy, but mm. they still, I felt anyway, talked like the the. This sounds like a derogatory, but it's what the vibe sort of is like a cardboard person. Right. <laughs> like like uh like even when the little girls, the which I think stole every scene that they were in, yeah, uh, were doing very kid like things, like I'm a witch, I'm a bat, or whatever yeah. whatever they're saying. Uh they're still kind of doing it real straight. Mm. And like kids in a way, sometimes uh, you have a child. Mm -hmm. Uh I, I have witnessed this. Tell me if this is your experience as well. Mm -hmm. They will just start say something like really frankly, mm -hmm. like oh, yeah. like randomly, like <laughs> and it, it will not have like a 
a, a large emotional swing, <laughs> but it'll, it it's just like base level enough where you're like, this is slightly off-putting. <laughs> yeah, I think it, in uh, it's not the correct term anymore, but in the Freudian terms, they haven't developed the id. Okay. Uh, or is it the id or the superego? I forget. Which one is the one that's like the public consciousness? One uh, of them. Yeah. Like, I was with, with my son on Saturday, and we went to, we had to, we were, we were, out and about in the city. We even saw Teenage Mutant Ninja I ran into them. you. Yeah, I literally right. ran yeah, yeah. into you in the theater. Uh, afterwards, we went uh, out to buy some shoes and also to climb rocks at Central Park because that's what we do. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, he, we were in a public bathroom that was, you know, kind of a, a, a gross public bathroom. And he walks in and goes, and he just shouts at the top of his line, this bathroom is disgusting. <laughs> and I was like, shh. And then, like, someone from, an, from another store goes, I hear you, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, so positive reinforcement, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, uh, the children, the children of this movie. I, I, I don't. I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it, Kellen. I actually, uh, there's definitely a different vibe, but I never thought that they were acting like like regular children in context. Yeah, I, you know, precocious is the word I would use for all kids in Wes Anderson right. movies. But I think, Kellen, you've actually hit onto something that's really interesting that would be interesting for a rewatch of this movie, which is that uh, as we identified in that episode, there are many layers to this movie. There's a play within a play within a TV show within a movie within a, you know, uh, it, uh, they break the fourth wall in the play, for example. But it's it would be interesting to go back and watch because I think in that context, you kind of see the seams of how every other character is acting. However, the kids don't feel like they're acknowledging, you know, at least on a superficial level, acknowledging what medium they're in. They're just right. talking like kids. Yep. Whereas everyone else is kind of like, oh, that's an actor playing a role within this play that is a movie adaptation. Though yeah. we do see them in the wide shots. And wasn't the Augie... Uh... Wasn't Jason Schwartzman's character. No, sorry, not not Jason Schwartzman's character. What was the young, his his, his, his son. son? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that that character we see the actor of that character probably in a, yeah. in a few scenes. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think even the oldest daughter yeah. too. But, but but maybe as we get younger, maybe yeah. the seventeen is what's throwing me off. They're also just good actors. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, I like that. I will look forward to thinking about that as I rewatch that eventually. I do think I'm going to buy that on physical, which is I, a strange I, thing for me. It's the first Wes Anderson film I will have bought since uh, Tenenbaums. It's funny because I didn't love that movie, but I am that that is certainly a movie I want to give another shot. Yeah, particularly with your reading of it, and particularly with everyone's favorable reviews yeah. of it. It was not one of my favorites. Uh, all right, moving on to Prashant. Prashant says, hello again. Thanks so much for reading my last email. I'm not a video game player by any stretch, but I loved Matt's analogies to Metal Gear Solid. It's, oh, it's I, happened a couple of times now, Metal Gear Solid's come I, up. I hope, I hope it made enough sense. <laughs> Um, sadly, I don't think Beyond the Spider-Verse is coming out anytime soon. I'm referring to the recent Vulture piece on how Sony and Phil Lord created a toxic work culture for the animators on the film. Honestly, some of these stories kind of soured my enjoyment of the film. Mm, do I sense another mediation on art versus meaning of producing art? Probably, sir. Probably. Hope things uh, improve for the animators on the next one, which actually reminded me of something I thought of while listening to your Asteroid City episode. I thought the film was a wonderful meditation on making art and telling stories. I caught a showing at a beautiful independent old school theater in Gothenburg, Sweden. Ooh, cool. Um, where I study at the moment. As I've thought more about the film, I wonder, is it enough or even possible to make art for its own sake? Would love to hear what you think. Thank you, Prashant. Uh, we're actually you—you you jump on a couple different things, cool things in this email. We want to save it for another time, so we're gonna we're gonna tackle this one first. Yeah, because there's a lot in here. Oh, and side note: uh, doesn't Oppenheimer go to Goth Gothenburg? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a part of. The, so maybe Oppenheimer and Prashant. There's a, you know, there's yeah, a crossover. Yeah, it's the Prashantenheimer. The Prashantenheimer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but no, uh, yeah, this those stories from the Vulture article, uh, for lack of a better term, did piss me off. Um, it does sour it. Uh, there's a weird... There's something weird when the product is supposed to be something that instills joy through, like, portraying a motion of characters you, you either tether onto or you can relate to or you can just sort of experience what they're experiencing to the best outside of, you know, someone else's body. And then you realize that the craft of making that experience for you sucked for a lot of people. Right. Um, uh, it's hard, man. I, I so the you, short answer is yes, there should be another uh, meditation on the art versus the production of art. Well, uh, I want to be careful about how we just discuss. You work with uh, animators. Yep. I work with animators as well. Um, and, uh, you know, funny, the Phil Lord thing, there was an article, which I posted to a bunch of our animators a long time ago, which talked about how uh, he, on the first film, uh, uh, they would really change things up until the last minute. And one of the arguments that they made was one that I actually like the thing that I wanted to post uh, to, to, to discuss with our animators was that the audience doesn't come to see that you got it in on time or on budget. They come to see that you did the best thing possible. Yep. And so what he was arguing is that um, if sometimes you do something but have to scrap it and restart again because it doesn't work, then that's what you got to do. However, I think what they're talking about here is this sort of work culture place, which is where that the value of artist works isn't um, isn't appreciated um, and rejected and restarted again. I think what happens there is that you can create a culture where everyone's trying to do their best and that means iterating a lot and redoing things and thinking about it. And that's really tough when you're doing an animation. You do it in live action as well, where you have to like retake shots over yeah. and over again. You do reshoots, what have you. Um, but you also have to accompany that with a culture that um, both values the amount of time and effort that that takes pays for it correctly. Um, and that's really challenging to do. It's very, very hard, especially when you're working now on, you know, a, con a conglomerative project like this, which requires animators from all around the world, all doing individual things. Uh, you know, we just watched Oppenheimer. I think the phrase is compartmentalization. Right. Um, so it's a very challenging thing. I think there was some, uh, I, I can't remember if it was Amy Pascal came back and, and said, well, look, this is just part of the process. Uh, however, the animators were like, well, yeah, but the process is actually destroying my life kind of thing. So it, it is a very tricky balance that I think is, go is going on here. Um, and in the I, I don't get the impression that it's being done, you know, I don't want to, you know, uh, make a suggestion of, of, of knowing the, the exact scenario, but I, I don't get the impression it's being done with a sense of uh, vitriol or we're just trying to make a toxic work culture or anything like that. I think it's being done because... Um, there is a sense that we, you know, th there's a lot of pressure on this project. Um, however, as you know, as we say as well, you know, like you don't want to create an environment which is hostile. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would posit that most hostile work environments are never. It's never the goal to make it a hostile work environment. Yeah. It, it is, it is created through the bureaucracy of time and budget. Yeah, um, and poor management. Uh, in, in, in various places. Uh, I'm not saying it's always from the top. It can be from the middle, but it can be from the top too. And it, it, heck, it can be from the ground level. Like there, there's lots of different ways where large scale production can turn uh, its workplace into some place that is not healthy to be in. Right. The, I think your point is very apt about the time and money is always the thing. And yeah. when you are dealing with something this big, uh, that's always going to butt heads with the creative process. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, again, we, we are not people that were involved anywhere near yeah. this project. So like, but if this, if the case was 
we need to know that we're going to reiterate and change things up to the last minute. And like, and, and that was made very clear to the team. Yeah. And the team was supported time-wise and monetarily. Yeah. Then I have no problem with the idea of, uh, you know, do a thing. Okay, we have to scrap that whole thing that you worked three months on because the job was described to you in the way of this is what we're doing and this could happen. Now, right. if it wasn't, if it was like, yep, this is the plan and we're doing this and this is what it is. And then it changes in that way a couple times all over the board. Yeah. I feel like that is a place where, while not toxic in the sense of, it, uh, let's even just assume in that scenario that they were uh, paid well and not overworked time-wise. Yeah. I can see that also really messing with the the mentality and the burnout factor of artists. It's, I get I get burned out when when my schedule does that to me and I'm psyched about something. And like it, I remember back at the MTV days, like, yeah. <laughs> shout out to MTV for literally n most times on projects I was on, never really giving me the plan and yeah. just throwing me at it. And then we trash it and throw it at it and trash it. And you get to the point where you're like, okay, man, like <laughs> neat. But like I, I I try whenever I'm and I, I I've talked to some other people who do uh, animation production, being very clear on what not only what the end goal is, but what the process for this particular project is. Yeah. If it is iteration, let the artist know that there will be iteration and work that is done on all fronts will be lost or changed. Yeah. And uh, that's sort of that. Just so you get that in your gut before you pour your blood into something that you're like this is the best thing i've ever done and someone's like oh that doesn't fit into scene 14 anymore bye yeah like so it's all a balancing act I, i've seen it happen i've actually i've been on the receiving end of it as well where um you know for months this has been the plan we've executed the plan uh and then we've delivered on the plan and the client says no that's not what i wanted at all and you're like Oh, and like suddenly it's a scramble to like have to rethink all yep. of that. Um, and it and it and it is soul destroying, um, especially if you're an animator and you've poured your heart and soul into this thing. And and you know like you don't you don't just turn up and plug, uh, you know like put square uh, uh, create gears and and you know it's not like just a factory line. It is it is a uh, you're putting part of your soul into yeah. it. Um, so it really hurts when that happens. Um, but at the same time, uh, if you're you know, it, it can feel like when you're making something that there are train tracks being laid out and then suddenly you realize the destination was wrong. Yeah. And you realize that you have to now backtrack on the on all the train tracks that you've laid that you might have laid out, you know, um, and that's a really challenging thing. But it's at the same time, it's like, you know, like that Phil Lord quote that I kind of believe in. Um, the audience doesn't come to watch that to to know that you put things on schedule and on budget. They come to watch the best thing that they could possibly get, and and you have to be cognizant of like making picking your battles. Like, what is the battle that says this is going to make this a better product, and what is the battle that nobody really is going to care about except me? And and you sometimes you have to make those balances uh, work for you. It's it's tricky. You have to respect people and work with them, you know, effectively. Um, but it's, but none of the, none of this is being done. Well, again, I don't know the exact scenario, <laughs> yet, at least in my situations. Uh, it's none of it is being done with a maliciousness or with a I, sense of like, I very rarely think it is. Yeah. You know, like, like we want to make someone work harder but than they have to. Also like, I, 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 gosh, now we're getting deep into yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, like, I, I also, I also go back into the, well, that's just not. That's just people not thinking about other people. Right. And that's pretty shitty in and of itself. I, I get the, the 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 direction that you are uh, taking the Phil Lord quote makes total sense. At the end of the day, I do think 
all production is about communication and yeah. how effectively you can communicate what you're doing when and why and yeah. how and you know whatever i think though a, another read of that that lord quote uh <laughs> i do my makeup in somebody else's card no different yeah. lord yeah. um i i think another reading is yeah, no one cares about if you're, you know, whatever time or on budget or money on budget or on time, but you, they care about the product. That's a, or the best possible product. That's very reductive to the individual worker because it's not, it, while it is true what he's saying, yeah, that puts the weight of that responsibility of that quote on the top brass, in my opinion, and not on the, on the boots worker. So like, if he's saying that in response to like, yeah, we really messed up on a couple things because we didn't communicate and like whatever, and we just wanted this, but we totally understand and we're doing things to change and yada yada yada. That's one thing. If it's like, well, like listen, like they just care if it's good or not, then that's kind of shitty. And yeah. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. It's it's tricky to say. But thank you again um, uh, for that email, uh, Prashant. Uh, the last question you asked is: as I've thought more about the film uh, when we were talking about Asteroid City, is it possible to make art uh, for its own sake? I have a project recently where uh, this has been what we've talked about on this project entirely, and I've always tempered it with like these are famous last words. There we is, go. You know, because because the reason is it's an internal project that doesn't have a client um, per se. Although the client is me, I guess. But my my understanding is I really like the artist, and I was like, look, I just want you to make something beautiful that you think will be cool, and it'll get. That's the in intention. I know we're going to get into tricky ground when, like, it doesn't quite fit the hole that I need it to fit. Uh huh. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think good, at, you know, the, the what, uh, uh, the worst disasters are paved with best intentions. Is that the right? Is I that mean, the that is a quote. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I, so that's a good example mm -hmm. in the sort of like in the same space we're talking about in a slightly different space. Uh, I would, I think that there is, uh, the concept of art for art's sake as opposed to um another one but it, weirdly for me on a personal level it is uh rpgs it's tabletop it's dungeons and dragons right. uh i'm making uh we're doing a curse of Strahd campaign with a bunch of our friends and queens and and steve steven buja from same night movie review fame um and uh we've been running that for two years and that is something that i've poured hours days weeks of my life into through storytelling and painting and building and things and uh, it is not for, it is it is for an audience of five. Right. And I think when the audience is the smallest, the yeah. better chance you have of making something just for the sake of making that thing. And I would also just argue there that um, when the mechanisms of making the art require the least amount of people, yep. is when yep. you can that's make a, art for art's sake. That's like, a great fucking point. Because when you when you're making a movie, for example, <laughs> yeah. and you require fifty. You know, fifty people and trucks and what have you, and you want, and it's costing money. It's harder to make art for art's sake. But if you're a painter or a writer writing your own thing, um, it's easier to make something yep. for the sake of making it. Thousand so anyway, percent. Yeah. That's anyway. a good point. Um, we have listened, written, a, uh, talked a lot of emails. We've got more to come. Thank you for entertaining us uh, and writing us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. 
We will get back to you. Oh, there's one more. There's one more. There's so one quick. more. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Jacob sorry. just said, Jacob just said, uh, and I quote, there are definitely still only three Indiana Jones films. Save yourself. Thank you, Jacob. <laughs> we have reviewed Indiana Jones and the Dial Disney. And Matt, you are of the firm belief that that is the fourth that's film? That's the fourth film. That I is mean, the fourth I don't, film. I don't even think it's a controversial <laughs> subject. I think that's just sort of what No people, kingdoms, no crystals, no skulls. People get confused with uh, all of the video games, the myriad of electronic <laughs> entertainment that Indiana Jones has graced. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, thank you, Jacob. Okay. Now, talk to me. We're going to talk to you about Talk to Me. All right. Um, so this is a feature film directorial debut, which uh, I didn't realize when from, I watched it. From Danny and Michael Philippou? Yes. Of, uh, of Raka, ra- Raka Rakas? Uh, Raka Rakas. Raka Rakas. So they're Australian. I'm a bad YouTuber. I Do don't you know, have know you other watched, YouTubers. Have you watched any of their videos? Uh, not until after I saw this film. Okay. Have you watched um, like their D, uh, Comic-Con video where they did... Um, DC versus um, no. Uh, Marvel. I watched their Sundance video on this movie. Oh, okay. So you haven't actually watched their content. I, I started to watch a little of it. Okay. Um, it, it didn't grab me right away. Oh I, my not god! Look, I think <sighs> I think they're very fun and funny. Yeah. Um, the one I watched maybe was the wrong one. They, I, I, they I, literally I, shoot a child in the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like. Yeah, I think I'm done. Um, but th- there's look, it's neither here nor there. They're they're obviously they've been around the YouTube game for quite some time. It, Millions it, of subscribers. You know what's actually yeah, six point yeah. five mil. I think. Yeah. Uh, and I, there's no argument to the amount of talent that these uh, yeah. two guys and their team have. Um, I think I, I, it was an interesting thing to watch their Sundance video. I don't know if you have about yeah. about the, the 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 this film talked to me getting accepted to Sundance. Yeah. It starts with like their whole journey story. Yeah. Like, you know, and they were doing what I think you and I should hear were doing back in the day, like filming dumb things in the backyard with your friends and yeah. like. Have making... you seen their dumb with the backyard things in the. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. What no, again, uh, very, very skilled. Uh, and then moving through their YouTube phases and then uh, making this film sort of, I believe, with uh, uh, some raised money. Then they ran out and they put up their own money along with the production house that was involved with yeah, it. Yeah. And they went, the, the fact that it's an A224 film is uh, part of the part of what happened at Sundance yes. for them. So it didn't go to Sundance with any distribution and it was picked up by A24. And it's weird because you can watch this and go... Wow, I don't know if anyone would have watched this film had it not been for the fact that A24 had put the, had put their name on it and is distributing it in the United States. Like, not not that. Uh, what I get I mean, what you're saying. It has, it, that's not a call on the film's quality. It, it's that's just, how we inter- engage it, with media. Like how this. would you see an Australian film about you know teenagers um, if it not been for A24? Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. I, I just want to go back to the Raka Raka thing. Um, uh, how I came in contact with them, I think it was 2014. Mm-hmm. I was asked to direct something for a Comic Con opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we probably know the same people that would have asked me to direct it, and yes. it was meant to be with celebrities. It was meant to engage. You know, it was meant to like play off the properties that were going to be at sure. Comic Con. And and I I knew of this Raka Raka video, and I was like, and I just I kind of I looked at it, and the more we talked about what the budget that the that you know that I was being asked to direct this thing for, and you know like the the confinements, a lot of the talent that we were going to have we would have for five minutes. And I was like, oh boy, this is going to be really tricky. Like, you know, I eventually did it and we made something work. It's, you know, it is what it is. Um, but the thing I said to the producers at the time, I was like, guys, you need to watch this video. And I showed them the DC versus um, Marvel video that they had done where basically uh, Iron Man and Thor and the Hulk are fighting Batman, um, Wonder Woman, and somebody else uh, for for Comic-Con tickets. Okay. And and 
the video is mind-blowing yeah. in terms of what they do. It looks like a backyard movie, but they built that entire set that they eventually destroy. Superman flies up. People get crushed. It's rude. It's crude, but it's incredible. It reminded me a lot of Peter Jackson's early films. Mm -hmm. It had the same sort of spirit to it, which was like, we're going to go big. And I said to the producer at the time, I was like, guys, I think you should just reach out to these people and license this video. And, you know, there's this thing that happens, which, you know, we, we've been in touch with, which is that the second you have to talk to someone that's not within the internal organization, uh -huh. you know, and requires, like, licensing, the conversation just stops. Yep. Uh, and that's what happened. But I was, I, I was firmly convinced at that point that these guys were amazing and, and you know, saying it unequivocally, they did a better job with probably less money than I would have to do yeah. with, what this, with what this was. And and that was what you know really attracted me to them. And again, uh, thinking a lot of what Peter Jackson's early work was, or even Sam Raimi, who are two filmmakers we're going to talk about a lot. I think as we talk about this particular film, yeah. Could you tell us what Talk to Me is about? I sure can. The Internet Movie Database describes Talk to Me as <clears throat> when a group of friends discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand. They <laughs> become hooked on a new thrill until one of them goes too far and unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. Ooh. <laughs> um, so you saw this at an early screening. I want again. I apologize to our listeners today. It's, it's early morning. We've done emails. We've done talks about Racka Racka. We haven't even got to the movie yet. There is a movie. There is a movie. We will talk about the movie. We're very aware that, the, you know, you're, you're here for the ride. Are you? <laughs> I hope you are. I hope you're here for the ride because we love the ride. Yeah. Um, I took a friend of mine, a fellow dad, to this movie. And this was a, a friend of mine, Dave. Uh, shout out to Dave who may listen to this episode. Dave. I love Dave. He's great. Uh, he's got three kids. And Dave's he, kids. <laughs> Dave's kids are great. I love Dave's kids. Um, they movies are not a priority for Dave. And you know, I in our dad group, I always just say, "Hey, I'm going to this movie. If anyone wants to come," and it's usually like one parent will come who like, "Oh, I want to check that out." Um, I always invite Dave because I'd love you know I love hanging out with Dave. Um, but you know, in the back of my mind, when he said yes to this particular film, I was like, oh no, <laughs> because movies are not a priority for him. And I was like, I don't even know if he likes horror movies. And I'm like, Oppenheim is a good option, but it, the reason he didn't want to go see Oppenheimer is it's three hours long. A breezy three yeah, hours. Yeah, a breezy three hours long. And for a dad of three kids, that's a huge ask. You can, you can <laughs> check out our Oppenheimer review, which I believe came out before this one. We're <laughs> filming all out of order for that. So there's a moment in this movie where... It starts as a slow burn and it's wonderful. Um, but there's a moment where you know the roller coaster ride is about to start. Sure. And then and you get the sense as you're watching it that it's gonna be rough. And I turn and, and like suddenly I turned to Dave and I was like, oh no, I'm so sorry. Because I was like, I don't know if he wants to be here. You know, he was like, let's go out to a Friday night movie. He has no idea about this movie. He, you know, he, Oh, so he I, didn't like go in there with any research at all. He's Nothing. just like, oh, she here, watch the show. This, this talk to me. I hope it's a rom-com. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's going to be a fun time. And I, and the thing is, this movie involves a teen, you know, we, have, we, we both have kids and we always think, you know, like as a parent, you're always putting your kids in the position of the movie and going, well, what would our kids do in that situation? And this involves teenagers in parties and there is a heavy drug metaphor in this film as well and peer pressure and that sort of thing. And, these are just dumb kids a lot of the time. You're just like, oh, God, these are stupid. Yeah. And, I, and I was just like, I want to take Dave off this roller coaster at this moment. Like, I just, I, like, I just, 
not because I didn't think he was enjoyed or capable of, of watching the movie, but because I didn't want this to be his Friday night, the one movie I'm going to in the first, and you know, for the first time in six months, this is going to be it. Should have taken him to Barbie. I think he enjoyed the film. I certainly did, but I was t- I tempered it with like thinking about what people are into, and this is not your everyday run of the mill kind of Friday night movie. Yeah. It's not even you know, and and the things we're thinking about there is like Scream. I went to see Scream on a Friday night. Uh, huge audience in there, all knowing what to expect. There is a dangerous quality to this movie where it's like, I don't know how far this movie is going to go. And I think that's kind of what's wonderful about it. Yeah, it's a uh, non-franchise horror film. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and- yeah, I, so I went to go see it with Will, friend of the show, Will Temper. Uh, he had, he that dude, man, if it's A24, he's got a screening like yeah, a he's month got the in t-shirts. advance. He's just, <laughs> side note, the merch for this movie is bad. Right. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's stuff you could not wear. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of corpse faces. Um, yeah. But we went to an early screening uh, at the Regal, I think, uh, 14th. Yeah. And uh, we got there a little bit late. The subways were running great. And we get there. We got pretty garbage seats. It was, like, filled up. We were, like, in the back right or something. I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's fine. It's a good thing, whatever. And then there were so many people, I guess, and they had the space. They did a spillover screening. Right. So we moved and got great seats in the second theater. Nice. Um, but I, I, And that was the same one where I, I mentioned on the Barbie podcast how we saw there was a uh, pajama party okay. going yeah. on for Barbie. So it was all these people going to see Talk to Me and then a bunch of people in pink pajamas. Yeah. Um, yeah, this film was... Really kind of refreshing. Again, the A24 at this point mm-hmm. lets you know that there's a level of quality to it where it it almost takes the – it's a primer. I really think that brand name at this point is a primer for, like, let yourself go. This is a curated experience. It might not be the experience you think it is, but it's going to be of a high caliber. Right. And – I don't think this film disappointed. I think this is exactly where this film should be. Um, I have long said I'm kind of over the Conjuring style things and like um, you know hauntings of hill houses and just I, I I find I find a lot of the that that level of horror of or, or the nun <laughs> yeah <laughs> like those sort of things I just I don't even know what to coin them like they feel like a lot of times like copy paste monster movies but where the monster isn't a full character like it's not a slasher film or like a freddy krueger type thing because that has like character cachet yeah um when it follows ghost hunters i'm pretty much out (laughs) uh so i but this movie didn't really strike me as that this movie felt especially from like kind of like frame one when you're sort of following teens looking for another friend through a party yeah And uh, it was funny. It got me. It, it's that opening scene before shit hits the fan. Got me really nostalgic for like high school parties because I was like, yeah. really that that scene got you. The, well, the, before before the end of it, yeah. Uh, but because it was just like a bunch of people like hanging out, screaming, listening yeah. to music in someone's backyard, and yeah. it, I don't know. I always just really liked that. Yeah. Uh, and and then I think the movie lets you know exactly what type of film you're going to get into from the moment and then light spoilers here for the very first scene uh they find the person they're looking for and then that person attacks somebody and then stabs themselves in the face with a knife (laughs) um and great start yeah great start yeah and the whole premise of this thing is just like it's funny 
the skill is on the screen because the premise is pretty basic, but it, they make it really interesting. The premise is there's a mannequin hand that they say is an embalmed hand of a fortune teller or a, or a psychic. psychic yeah. And uh, if you hold it and you ha- hold it like a handshake and you say the words "talk to me," you'll be able to speak to uh, a spirit uh, that happens to be hanging out. Uh, and if you let them in, they'll like ride your body for a while. And I guess you're mm. in a nice, happy place and like super euphoric because they were treating it like drugs. They were like acting like it was the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, but if you go longer than 90 seconds, that's when the trip goes bad. Hmm. Um, they want to stay. Yeah, because they want to stay. Because uh, who wouldn't, based on some of the imagery that we see? Mm. So uh, it's funny. Like on the surface, it's a pretty kind of haunted prop does haunted thing with ghosts. You broke the rule. Oh, no, ghosts, yeah. right? But the way that the energy uh, that that uh, Danny and Michael sort of bring to this thing, and again, also I think with the uh, all-Australian cast, mm-hmm. like I it's think- It's an Australian movie. Yeah, yeah. but like they were, I, I watched in their video, they were talking about how they were like trying to sell this to major studios and they had lots of different notes, like they didn't want it to film in Australia and have an Australian <laughs> cast. Right. And like, I don't know, like there's just an energy to like, if this, <laughs> this sounds stupid, but if this was an, uh, an American movie set in mm. Wisconsin or whatever, mm. like- it wouldn't have the same energy. It wouldn't have, like, it wouldn't feel, like, I think the the, the premise and the problem that is going on in this movie with the, the style of ghosts and what is happening feels really, like, matched to the energy of these characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't picture this, like, I couldn't picture the cast of Scream 6 going through this, this... Uh, I could picture the cast of Hereditary going through this. Maybe, I don't know, but Hereditary in and of itself is kind of... It's a different. It's a different um, uh, deep look into allegory for uh, problem. <laughs> uh, whereas, whereas this is obviously the drug references are very, very uh, apparent. Yeah. Um, but also, just I don't know. I think the the individual small moments of flair that these guys bring to this, and the the whole cast does, and and the crew uh, made it feel like something new, even though I don't think it was terribly on, on paper terribly innovative. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I mean I think uh, the for me watching it, uh, the most evident thing was that this was a reimagining of the Flatliners narrative, sure. which is you know like you go into this place and you pull back and something's come back. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's a reworking of that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. As you say, um, for a horror movie, it has the sort of same sort of rules. I think it's got the most macabre, uh, plot mechanic, which is this hand. And I love what I love, um, thinking about here is that with this movie, these guys may have spawned a little franchise here. Maybe not even a little, sorry, little sounds pejorative, but like may have spawned a franchise because the film opens up enough doors that have hanging threads that are interesting that you could follow it down to another film. Yeah. Um, so I really like that. I think w- one thing that you've tapped on there is that Hereditary, for example, felt like a movie that were, that the byproduct was horror. Um, yeah. It felt like a movie where, the, where it was really negotiating uh, gener- intergenerational trauma and the byproduct of that was horror. In this case, I think we're, it feels more the other way around, which is that we're a horror movie that happens to be dealing, that, that happens to use 
a narrative about a mother and the loss, uh, a daughter and the loss of her mother as part of the framework. And the drug, the drug uh, allegory, I think, is really effective um, in so much as these teenagers kind of, you know, it reminds me of the licking frog kind of phenomenon, right. you know, like um, we know it's macabre and, and we shouldn't be doing it, but at the same time, it feels great. So Does it though? Well, they have a drug, they have sort of a fun drug drug style. Mo- it's almost like Requiem for a Dream for a minute. Right. Uh, in the middle of this where they're having a great time uh, being haunted by each of these individual spirits. But as we learn that there are, there's more narrative here that we kind of get a hanging thread to, and towards the end, I sort of got a, like a, a kind of Rosemary's baby kind of vibe to it, which is like there is a particular subset of the spirits that are coming through that have more nefarious intentions than we th- than than previously thought and we don't quite know how they work there's this one character who pops up at the end who seems to be the ringleader of it all um and um we don't know whether um mia's mother who is a character through this as well um is working with them or for you know trying to help mia um i think the thing that really Again, thinking about Dave's experience as well, the, the really tricky thing here, or not tricky, the really tough thing to watch is the way in which Riley's character, played by Joe Bird, um, <laughs> Riley gets the short end of every stick. Well, because, and, and because the drug meter, you know, like there's so much playing into this, which is that he is the youngest character. He's essentially the, you know, he's treated like the kid brother of Mia um, and um, uh, Cole. Mm-hmm. Is it Cole? No. Uh, oh, Jade. Jade. Okay, yeah. Um, and uh, he kind of wants to try the experience, i.e. wants to try the drug, and his older sister says no under absolutely no certain terms. We've seen his mother, who is also protected, played by Miranda Otto, You're No Man. Uh, I'm No Man from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it. Uh, she's also a producer on the film, by the way. And... Um, and then he tries the thing, and it all goes terribly, terribly, terribly wrong. And it's hard to watch a young kid be put through that, and it's very difficult. But I'll, at the same time, you know, like you said in the Racka Racka video where they shot a child, it's it's like that part of their sensibilities is to be uh, not just transgressive but provocative in that way. Right. I, I think that I. I Let's. Uh, how do I put this? This is a R-rated horror film that has a lot of safeguards to yeah. it that I feel are good. Uh, they make a lot of comments actually on their YouTube channel about YouTube's unfair practices about demonetizing their stuff and whatever. And I don't know enough about it to, yeah. to get into that. But like, uh, I, I believe that the title of the video that I watched it, that they shot a kid in the face and they did blur it yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, but was like it was like. Uh, YouTube demonetized so we can't afford a PS5. And then it's like an over-the-top thing where, like, they go to s- with automatic weapons to steal a PS5 from a child. I think I might have seen that episode. And, yeah. and there was something that, like, I-, I get it. There's, like, transgressiveness there. But, like, there's also, like, there's no gate to anyone watching that Yeah, content. It's, a, like, it's a really tricky thing, which is again, that if I'm a parent and my son was watching that, I would be very upset about it. Yeah. But at the same time, as, a, as an adult, watching it, I think I can recognize... That there is, yes. a, you know, this quality and, to and it. And to their point on, on a lot of things, the uh, mm-hmm. you know, the it's very obtuse some, sometimes what YouTube does and why. Yeah. And I can see their frustrations. On the other hand, that isn't something that I think should be readily available to every child. And that the great thing about their movie yeah. is this is the perfect this is the perfect format for 
<laughs> for just beating the shit out of Riley, who's like 15 years old, because it 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 is pushing boundaries. It's doing what good horror does. Yeah, but it's also doing it in the space that, like, uh, at least as a a, a media consuming society, I. Again, I don't make any rules. This is just the personal call that like I would feel is the correct space to do that in. Yeah, and I think we talked about this um in the I have this sort of like ongoing working theory about horror movies called the morality clause. Um and it, it is a malleable theory. I have not written it down anywhere or anything like that. I've just talked about it on the episode uh, on the show itself. But it's the, like for me it's this idea that that um horror movies in particular uh ultimately sign a morality clause with their audience. Uh, but but the sort of beauty of horror is like is being transgressive and pushing that morality clause uh, in so much. This came up in in Halloween, where the question was, would Mike Myers kill a baby? Right. And and, and does Mike Myers? It would. What happens when Mike Myers kills a child? Because part of the enjoyment of Mike Myers is that he kills people. You know that not. This is the wrong word. I know what you're getting. But at, yeah. yeah. But but he kills people that within the framework of the movie are set up to be killed. Right. Or, and, or in a lot of it, it, this is so it, it, it's like, well, this guy's an asshole to this guy earlier yeah, and yeah. then he gets knifed and you're like, yeah. And, and and you know, Wes Craven's scream sits up and identifies that this is part of the rules yep. of horror movies, which is like uh, once the virgin has sex, the, she is then able to be killed because that is part of the morality sort of agreement that the film makes with its audience. And as we know, morality changes over time. Um, so I, I think there's an interesting thing game being played here. I actually found that the movie compared to a lot of the YouTube content was far more restrained. Well, it was structured. Like, was, like there's, there's a, there's a frenetic, I, I don't know. There's probably a terminology for the style of YouTube videos that they make or like Mr. Beast or like any of that. Like the editing and the pace and the energy is off the fucking chain. I, I think and, it has to be because of the audience. Yeah, ex- a thousand percent. I yeah. mean, that's what like, it's like, it's like sugar rush cinema. I don't know what to like call it. That's a good, that's a good phrase for it. Sugar uh, rush cinema. But, but like what I, when I was watching their stuff on YouTube and thinking back to this film, like, it was really nice to see them in a different medium. They took all of the skill, like, because I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Sugar Rush uh, cinema. cinema, let's just call it like yeah. that for now. Um, it's never really jived with me. Like, Ooh. I even have a hard time getting through a Mr. Beast video in sort of one sitting, even yeah. though, like, I love the tricks that he does to yeah. make it go. Yeah. Um, the This was like, here's all of the, like, filmmaking just skill and craft that they've learned doing their particular niche. Yeah. But also you can tell based on this movie, how much they just love horror in general. Yeah. And they, they, they injected just enough of their energy and style into this without breaking it into its own sort of sugar rush cinema thing. Like this felt like a nice, fresh, different feeling, uh, paced, very uh, uh, succinctly horror film. Yeah, I, I think it, it it shows a real great awareness of w- how the audience in a darkened theater watches a movie versus how somebody watches something on YouTube. Yeah, it, and it's it, you know because I think the mistake that gets made is that uh, oh you really you know racka racka you do this really great thing on YouTube let's transcode that to cinema. Now unfortunately now the interesting thing is they have been signed up to do a Street Fighter movie. 
And if you've watched their videos, I can 100% see why they would do why sure. they would be brought in to do that because their videos kind of have a Jackie Chan kind of yep. energy to them where they're really incredibly fast. They're and they very feel... physical, too. They have a lot of uh, WWE sort of redo videos. Like, yeah. they do a lot of backyard wrestling stuff, so you know these guys can, like, do a stunt, take a punch, do, yeah, you yeah. know, whatever. Like, like the, you know, the DC Marvel thing that yeah. I tell you about is miraculous for that scenes. Um, so I, I think the fact that they're doing a Street Fighter movie will be more of a translation of what they've done on YouTube than this was. Um, but... I worry I, about that a little. Well, I, I, and because it's 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 IP management at that point. Like, talk to me as their own thing that they like. It, yeah, it's very. Actually, you know what? Here's some. Okay, I'm gonna rewind for a second. I am less scared about the Street Fighter movie under their stewardship after seeing Talk to Me because they've they've shown that even without like. Studio came in, said they wanted to do X, Y, and do their story, and they said no, and they made their story the way they wanted yeah. to make it. Yeah. Outside of their usual oeuvre, yeah. right? That says to me that they can play ball and make the right decisions when it counts. So, like, I I really actually feel like a Street Fighter movie after them making this will be like, a, I think it'll turn out quite nicely. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think, I, again, you know, I, in <laughs> with people we know, endorsed them, you know, many, many years yeah. ago and feel very strongly. When I watched that particular, that first video in 2014 was like, these guys are great. Yeah. And they're on, in my mind, on the cutting edge of what is possible on a YouTube, on a YouTube platform. And therefore the conversation to expand to what else do you want to do? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I'm very excited by, by what it is they will do. I'm, I, I was quite surprised at how restrained this film was given what their, what their success has been. It, it, it and in a way it reminded me of, of Jordan Peele. Uh, with Get Out and you know coming off um, of the Key and Peele show mm -hmm. where the sketches were much wilder, um, but you know uh, uh, Get Out kind of demonstrated a, a sort of bigger understanding. There's a there's a, the thing that I really want to like be cautious of. Sure. Is suggesting that cinema has prestige over their YouTube, uh, over YouTube. Content. I don't think it. I, I don't I, think there's a difference. No, no. Well, I just want to make sure that I don't. Uh, that we don't frame the conversation in any way to suggest that. Um, I think it's different styles. I think let, let's just it, it, see if this works. Like, yeah. I, and I, I don't think it's the perfect term. I'll come up with a better one. But there's Sugar Rush Cinema, which feels like the style of most of their YouTube content, yeah. and horror film, which which is what I would argue Talk to Me fits perfectly into. Yeah. Um, I don't think that one is better than the other. I think I prefer horror films personally, but yeah. everyone has preferences about what kind of art they like. Yeah. Like, uh, but there's no, there's no, there's no arguing that even in their Sugar Rush Cinema stuff, that the skill on display for what they are making is fucking insane. Like yeah. these guys know what the fuck is up. Yeah. Um, I'm excited because sometimes when there's a group of people that only do one thing and they're given the opportunity to do another thing outside of their wheelhouse they don't adapt take pieces of what makes them special and move into that other medium they just try to transpose what they're good at into that other medium yeah. and and it sort of doesn't mix well it's like a bad dish just doesn't quite like mix yeah. it's nice to see that this is not that like this is this is artists understanding the assignment and bringing all of their fucking skill that they've crafted doing one thing into another thing and making just the right amount of spice from their old stuff to make it feel fresh. Like, that's what... If you haven't guessed by now, audience, I think Sheer and I both really liked this movie. Yeah. Um, And I like horror. Yeah. I'm not the biggest horror guy. Yeah. 
And this felt, especially as we get sort of later in the story, and um, I'm a big rules guy, everyone knows, yeah. and I liked the rules here. I liked that the ghosts, we never fully understand who you can trust and why. Yeah. Even down to uh, this, we're getting into spoiler, spoilers town, uh, yeah. but there's a moment when Riley, after being still possessed, is in a coma, and he's yeah. tried to kill himself like nine times or whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, they... <laughs> That's, It's funny that I laughed at that. <laughs> <laughs> that dude is through the ringer. Yeah. Um, but uh, she touches the hand, and a little girl shows up. Yeah. And she wants, she's telling the little girl, like, I need to help my friend. Do you yeah. know where he is? And she's like, yeah. And, and he goes, can you tell me? And she goes, yeah, I, I let you in. And she lets... <laughs> Yeah, the the alive woman, uh, you know, Mia, played by uh, Sophie Wilde, into the ghost's mind. Yeah, and you see Riley's assumed soul is in a hell, being ripped apart in hell. Side note: best depiction of hell I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Like that, that it to me it, revo- it rivaled Event Horizon. Yeah, it yeah. was <laughs> exquisitely terrifying. Yeah, and uh, I, I that was my shot of the movie. Yeah, uh, it personally. And uh, so, I, I have two movies that it came to mind with that. Which yeah. is, it was Event Horizon and Jacob's Ladder. I, have I seen Jacob's Ladder? There was a remake of Jacob's Ladder, I believe, but like the original with Tim I Robbins. Might, I might not have seen that. Oh man, okay. there's a, there's a depiction of hell in that in that film. Anyway, okay, sorry. Uh, no, so uh, so in that moment, I was like, oh man, that little girl ghost is trying to help. Yeah. But then things happen later <laughs> on where like you bring everything is brought into question about what like. It's not that a ghost is good or bad, but you never know if they're, like, trying to trick you actively or not. Yeah. And then they never really answer any of that, and you get a a, a true – and this is a perfect ending for this film and because – it's both nebulous and very clear. Yeah. And that's a weird knife's edge to balance. We all know I do not like the movies that are like, you decide, audience. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this – this like, you understand exactly what happens to the main character, yeah. but you don't understand the the morality or logic as to exactly how the, she got there or, like, whose team was doing what. Yeah. And that's real fucking cool. It's re- it, Like I say, it's got enough hanging threads here that make you go, I want to, I, I could see this being explored further. I, I would worry about that. Yeah, look, it, it required it, it, as much skill as it took to bring this very strange idea of uh, embalmed hand to life. Uh, it would require to pull a sequel up. But, but at the same time, I think any executive or any story, any screenwriter who looks at the numbers that this movie is doing, which is which is pretty reasonable for 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 what it is, um, would go, yeah, we can make more of this. Um, it's interesting. I, I want to come back on a couple of things that you talked about before. Uh, one was that we discussed, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, Evil Dead Rise. Oh uh, yeah, that know, felt like two years ago. It was a long time ago, according to the. You know, we, we we're coming up on episode four fifty, by the way. Um, Jesus Christ. Uh, Evil Dead Rise was a movie for me that really was more of the funhouse ride that this would be with as an empty thrill. Uh, and uh-huh. I, and, sure. and for me, I found I, I just I don't enjoy that. I, I don't I don't enjoy seeing how how much we can desecrate a body without really uh, the movie in engaging in a conversation or something like that. I think if there's any distinction between sugar rush cinema and um, horror? M- horror in a movie theater, it is to me, um, the ability for the, the opportunity 
for horror in a cinema to engage in a conversation bigger than how can we desecrate a body. The violence in Talk to Me, yeah. ex extreme violence, felt like it had more weight and meaning behind it than the violence in Evil Dead Rise. Yeah, and 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 I I is my you know I thought the story in Talk to Me was very good, very well handled. Um, the emotional weight of it, I think was where it needed to be, but it didn't, you know, like, no, I'm profoundly talking about, affect me. I'm talking me. about the emotional weight about the acts of violence in particular, not not necessarily, like, how much I care about the character. I mean, it's all tied together, but, like, yeah. But, but I think what I'm saying is that the, the violence has a connective tissue to what the emotional response is to the characters. Whereas in Evil Dead Rise, you know, which is essentially a film about a parent killing their own kids, um, I didn't, you know, engage with that in any way profoundly more than... The filmmakers are having fun seeing how much they can desecrate a human body, and 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 look, I I can see the pleasure in that. Like we talked about Peter Jackson early on, um, and you know if we look at a film like Bad Taste, that's kind of what the modus operandi of that film is. But at the same time, there's something quite tongue in cheek about it. Whereas I didn't have a lot of fun with Evil Dead Rise. I want to make sure that at least on my opinion on Evil Dead Rise, I don't think it's purely that. Uh, I think it leans much closer to what you're saying, yeah. but I think that. And I, it's funny, we see so many movies and we deal with so much media that I, I don't want to just be like, yeah, even if it feels right in the moment. Yeah. Because I, I I think that in that movie in particular, from what I can remember, it, you had that sort of gut reaction, but there was a lot of sort of subtlety on the background that I I, I don't want to, for me personally, I don't fully ascribe to that. And I'd have to go back and A, listen to our episode yeah. so I can remember, or B, watch the film again. Which, honestly... I would like, like Halloween time, mm. I would like to watch Evil Dead Rise again just for funsies. I might mm. see if Jamie wants to watch it or, right. or do something because it, it's one of those movies that like, it, just like Talk To Me. Yeah. Like it feels, it feels like there's something extra going on. Talk To Me feels more complete and like, like an, um, I don't, I keep saying the word emotional. That's not the right thing that like the right adhesive was used to make all of the extreme things I won't say palatable, but like you're like I understand. Right. Where where I feel like in something like Evil Dead Rise, they're like, mm. not all the glue mm. is specifically for the materials that they are using. <laughs> if that makes sense, it's more prosthetic glue. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I, and then coming back to that, the question you had about the translation from uh, Sugar Rush Cinema into horror as well. I just wanted to point out this reference because I think uh, I love watching this sort of material. Um, but Project Greenlight is uh, currently running on HBO Max or Max or whatever you want to call it right now. Um, Don't call it HBO. That's too prestigious. Yeah. Uh, what, what should we shorten Peacock down to? Anyway. Um, <laughs> P! <laughs> of course, P. Um, but, uh, I, and so I follow uh, Project Greenlight all the way and I'm very interested in like the translation from there. They, pro there was a spinoff of Project Greenlight called The Chair, uh, which not a lot of people saw, but if you can watch it, get, get to watch it because it's really fascinating. Uh, the Chair was essentially where they took two directors and gave them the exact same script and, and got them to make both movies to see which would be more successful and to see how each director would interpret it. And on the one hand, they had um, a sort of indie filmmaker who had either written or uh, made an independent film before. And on the other hand, they had, I think, someone who I, I don't know a lot about, but I have heard could be a problematic um, creator on YouTube, a, a guy by the name of Shane Dawson. Um who who has a lot of followers on YouTube. And so if you're a listener of this podcast and you know who Shane Dawson is, uh, you, there's probably information about this that you can fill me in on. Um, and and what was interesting was that the 
the idea there was that you had an independent filmmaker who's used to making things for like the Sundance channel and what have you. And then you have a YouTube creator whose general approach in YouTube is the kind of, is to make sort of transgressive, you know, like provocative material. And there's a really fascinating moment because Shane Dawson essentially creates a movie that is an extension of the types of things that he would do on YouTube. Okay. And Zachary Quinto, you know, Spock from Star Trek, uh, yes. is a producer on this. And it is this amazing moment in the chair where Zachary Quinto says, uh, you know, he's the producer of Shane Dawson's film. And he basically says, uh, I'm sorry, I cannot have my name attached to this. I am no longer the producer of this movie and walks away from it. And it's and I think what happened there is the the distinction between cinema and YouTube um, was really prevalent there, which is that, you know, for Shane Dawson, making what he did for um, as a film was completely breaking all the rules of cinema. And, you know, but it is what he did on YouTube every day kind of thing. And, and I think in this particular case with the Philippu bro- uh, brothers, uh, apologies if I, if I mispronounced that, it's, it's a real careful understanding of taking the right ingredients from what they do in the YouTube channel as they do with Riley, but fusing it with a bigger uh, sense of, well, a, a deeper sense of engagement than you can have in a five-minute YouTube video. Again, I, don't, I really want to make it, make it clear I'm not suggesting one is more prestigious or one is better or anything like that. I just think that in one an hour and have, a half, yeah. there's more opportunity to engage on an emotional level further. Now, that... I, I also want to say there are two-minute YouTube videos that I've seen that have incredible emotional depth. Here's, here's, I, can I, can I, make a, yeah. I want to make a sort of a, a, an addendum or an addition to that. It, it ha- doesn't have to do with, and again, I think it goes back to the speed at which we are presented information. Right. A film, uh, particularly a horror one, is the whole thing lives or dies on pacing. And you, yes, there's, you know, if the story is told correctly, the emotional response to the characters, et cetera, that also helps. But like when... This isn't like flash frames or quick things running around 90 miles an hour, then all of a sudden you're seeing a face being ripped open. Right. This is a slow build. The ghost is here. Shit, what's happening? There's something in the corner. Oh, God, what? Oh, okay, we just woke up. It's a dream. Fuck, oh, God! Like, there's, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's ways to take moments of extreme visual and audio horror and make them more palatable in a uh, generalized audience feel and I think that has a lot to do not only with tone and story and everything, but also just the pace at which we are shown and presented these things. Right. Um, there, there's a reason there is film structure. Yeah. Um, and just like there's a in in the in Sugar Rush Cinema on YouTube, mm. etc. There's a reason why retention uh, graphs, uh, why films, why films or content is made like they make it like that is because it. In a, in a world where you have not bought a ticket, got snacks, sat down in a dark room with a bunch of strangers, and you are you are c- kind of contractually obligated to sit there for an hour and a half and watch a one thing, yeah, you are being challenged in every element of your life from nine different screens for your attention, plus your job and maybe your family, yeah. In order to keep your eyes on whatever you want it to do, you need to deliver everything right away, and yeah. like that is there's that's that's the structure of that medium. Yeah. So. Again, to your point, uh, it is nice to see uh, people doing one thing so seamlessly bringing the things that can still make another uh, medium fun and engaging and fresh feeling without 
changing that entire medium or breaking a mold to the point where you're like, that's not great. <laughs> and, and to and and just extend that, I would have been happy watching basically a feature length rack a rack a movie. You know, See, because because the weird I, thing is, I wouldn't. But I but because I think what they do is so special and so unique that I would just be happy. I, I you know I'm I'm rooting for these guys. Like I just think yeah. they're they're fantastic. And and if that's what if that's what the Street Fighter movie is going to become, fan freaking tastic. Because Street Fighter is a piece of IP that, uh, apart from a, a manga or an anime film, has not translated well onto the screen. Uh, uh, I would argue very differently. Real? Oh yeah, yeah you would. The, <laughs> I, yeah, the Rotten Tomatoes on this might I, have my back. I, I, listen, I, the, the, the Street Fighter film is a bad movie. Oh, I what do... about the Legend of Chun Li? That didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> I don't actually, I never saw that. I've it's only equally, heard terrible things. It's equally bad. But like, I feel like The Legend of Chun-Li, from what I've heard, is the same level of bad, but zero level of camp fun. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, I, I would, whereas so like, I went to, I went to, sorry, now we're tangenting. I yeah. went to MAGFest this year in DC, yeah. which we've done talks at in yeah. the past uh, for this podcast. Yeah. And um, they did a thing. Uh, we, I went to a Bit Brigade concert, which is a great band who does speed runs and plays the music live. It's awesome. And afterward, there was like DJ, I can't remember the DJ's name. I feel so bad. DJ uh, something, uh, uh, and Street Fighter, the uh, and, and Street Fighter, and I was like, mm. "Oh, I'll stick around for five minutes and see what this is about." Yeah. Turns out, this DJ instead does live uh, mixes of Wu Tang songs, to the replacing the entirety of the backtracking to Street Fighter the movie. Right. Holy fuck! It but, was but so that's, cool. That's different to watching sitting down and watching Street Fighter. But I also can sit down and watch it based on the <laughs> fact that it's bad. Um, uh, regardless, the, I, I don't think I would want to see a full hour and a half of their style and again this is personally of their youtube style in the street fighter movie like if they just did a one-to-one -one maneuver I, over I, I don't think they'll they i don't would, think they will either i don't I think, think they will I, I think especially after this because like you've said we've seen so many people go from one medium to another where they just take the thing they're good at in one and do it in the other and you're like eh. the fact that they did what they did with talk to me makes me believe even further that not only do these guys are they technical wizards and they can make really funny cool stuff in one medium they can do it in another medium without losing their edge and what makes them special which then says to me when it's time to go do something like that i most likely will really enjoy it yeah i i think i i am excited that they're going to take that property and and do with it having just seen what their youtube channel is i think also having seen talk to me i think it is not going to be a one-to-one -one translation yeah. of what they do on YouTube. I think it is going to be, especially, well, if they'd just done Street Fighter straight from YouTube, I think it probably would be closer to that. But because they've got this interim film, uh, Talk To Me, which which demonstrates another quality to them, um, I'm excited to see whatever they do there. I think uh, it's also just, you know, like, uh, Barry Jenkins was on a podcast talking about After Sun because he was the producer on After Sun. Uh, and he was talking about how if you've made a short film, you have all the tool sets you need in order to make a feature film. And, you know, one of the things that I always get into is when we go into meetings and stuff, um, you know, uh, for example, I directed a music video and people go, well, can you direct it? You know, it's a four minute music video. Can you direct a 30 second commercial? I'm like, well, yeah, because I directed a four minute music video or what have you. And and I think it's important to watch these guys going I have all the faith in the world from just from the just from like two minutes of the YouTube channel that they could make whatever the fuck they wanted to. And I think they would be good at it because it demonstrates not just like we have a unique 
like we have a, like a quirky thing. It demonstrates a love of movie making and a love of cinema, and 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 that comes through in their YouTube channel, and and that's what I think is like to me uh, a definitive factor. It's it's very evident in uh, Ari Aster and in Hereditary. It's very evident in uh, Jordan Peele in Get Out. Uh, it's very evident in these guys as well. Um, I think to me. This, you know, having just watched Evil Dead Rise, I think this is closer in spirit um, to Sam Raimi's original film yes. yep. than than anything that Evil Dead Rise does. It kind of the YouTube work kind of feels like the Peter Jackson thing. I am excited by these guys. I think they're um, they have a long career ahead of them. Um, what I, I like about this film is that it is a major stepping stone to them, but it doesn't feel like a stepping stone film. Which is that right. they're using it to get somewhere yeah. else? I feel like it's they a wanted really, to make this movie and they and made it, it the best possible thing. Yeah, they could. and it's a really, really great uh, experience in the uh, in the cinema. Um, yeah, I, you know, apologies to Dave for, for taking him to this. Wait, so can we just finish the Dave arc? Yeah, okay, Did sure. Dave the, not like it. I think Dave liked it. Did you not talk to Dave about it? Did he you go home in silence? We we talked on the way home, Dave. If you're listening to this, I loved our conversation on the way home because it became more about like do. Like, how vested am I, Dave, in going to see movies that are outside of my comfort zone? Okay, okay. So you, you had more of a you had more of a, a Dave film going uh, uh, stylistic choices conversation than about talk to me. And Dave is like one of the uh, most fun people. He's he's one of the fun hang because he's a really easygoing guy. Uh, he's really fun to talk to, and uh, I think what uh, what I enjoyed is that he kind of he kind of reminds me of my father-in-law a lot which is that my father-in-law doesn't love going you know he doesn't go see every movie that comes out but he knows that I like to go see movies so he comes to go see movies because he likes to hang out with me Dave you seem like a really good guy email Dave us is, at only movie podcast at gmail.com uh just to say hi uh we'd love to I'd love to hear from you apparently I'm I'm not cool enough to hang out with Shahir and Dave. Uh, so I have to get it my kids gotta, through I, email. I got to tell you about Dave's car at some point. But anyway. Uh, Jesus, the, 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 the cinematic legend of Dave at this point is growing beyond the, uh, I, I don't know. It's it's Now it's going somewhere. You'll tell me off mic. Uh, anyway, this movie's great. You should mm -hmm. see this movie. Super! I was super pumped to see it. I'm glad it lived up uh, to my excitement. Obviously, the A24 of it all uh, sets you up to believe it, and I've yet to be disappointed. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's great. It is wonderful. I, I, yeah, absolutely go see it. Go. It's weird to sort of say go support this movie, but, but in a weird way, I think the listeners of this podcast uh, who've been with us for a while know that very rarely do we both get excited about a movie in yeah. this way, and and if that's the case, and you like our opinions. Uh, this is one that we highly recommend. Yeah. This has been the only podcast about the film Talk to Me. Shahir, when you do not have a death grip on the skeletal foot of Gibson the skeleton behind you, praying that you can glean some sort of knowledge from the afterlife, where can folks find you? You can find me flatlining on my website at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are letting in people into your home that you should not be letting into your home, where can people find you? You can find me sitting in this room with you. You're the only person here at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram, N-P-S-N, and of course, Emperor M-S-K on whatever they're calling that now. Uh, uh, oh, I'm are we, also Matthew on Blue Sky. Are we Zeting? Is that what it is? Zeting? I will I, can <laughs> are I, we on I, I, I want to go on a bit of a, uh, <laughs> an end tangent here. Okay. Um, 
I don't know what to do with with Twitter. It's weird because that's kind of just where I post, but I do it for for the podcast. But I do it just out of habit more I know. than anything. And something I noticed. This is let's let's have a let's have a podcast meeting on the air okay, for the right. for the diehards who are still here. Okay. They, the others clocked out at minutes. Oh, yeah. They, they're like, they're still fucking doing emails? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, no, I, because uh, I was away last week, yeah. did not post the Mission Impossible podcast on our socials until I think this last, uh, until the Saturday I, I, I was I knew back. I you were away. I posted something on the, on the Monday. D- on, uh, on Twitter? I yeah. looked. I didn't see one. Anyway, it doesn't I, matter. I, yeah. didn't do, I didn't do Facebook. I didn't do any of the other stuff. Yeah. I, I in whatever. Um, and... I noticed, and I've noticed this in the past too. Even when you haven't done pickup work, when I've missed something, yeah, the numbers of our podcast listenership, which have been steadily going up over this past year, so thank you very much for that. But yeah. they don't change, yeah. And I wonder often how much the social media element of it matters at this point. Like, I think the work that you do. So, for those of you that don't know, Shahir, ninety percent of the time, I'd say even ninety-five, if you're talking to someone on the Only Movie Podcast, Only Movie Pod on Twitter, is Shahir. Yeah. yeah. Um, you do great because you you actually like engage with things outside of the episodes where I do the editing and the graphic and yeah. the thing. You yeah. know, yeah. we have our jobs. Yeah. Um, and. But like outside of that, because I feel like it's personal. Yeah, I, I, I'm having a hard time justifying continuing both either for the podcast or for myself on Twitter. Yeah, there's connective things that like I, I've met a lot of good people and I have a lot of good connections and like people I DM with on Twitter. That that's my only form of communication with them. Yeah. Uh, but like, what's happened? Like, I opened the app and I saw the X, and finally the Twitter name changed to X, <laughs> and. It made me just, I moved it to the back of my phone. I was like, I don't like this. Right. (laughs) And so I wonder how long I'll be able to continue to engage with it. Of course I will if, you know, you and I decide to keep using it for the podcast. But like, I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this at all? Like, I just, I, 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 I'm getting sickened by it. What I want to ask our audience, uh, people who listen to us, uh, write us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com is what is, uh, you know, what are you looking for? Like what? What would be uh, fun for you? I, my feeling is, and this is a hypothetical, is that I've seen a lot of movie podcasts uh, open up their own Discord server. Yep. And the Discord server is ba- basically allows people to log into something specific for that podcast, where they can have all their movie conversations that are related to either the podcast or other things outside of the movie, and they can connect with each other. Um, my feeling is that's a better way to do this because I agree with you. We generally, while I will kind of like post random fun things that I find and, you know, I I love talking to like people who listen to the podcast or who are just interested in movies on Only Movie Podcast, um, at Only Movie Podcast on Twitter. I agree with you in terms of making it a useful space, making it a space for like, you know, if you want to find, if you want, if you saw Talk To Me and you haven't had anyone to talk to about it and our episode hasn't come out, would a space on Discord be useful for you to just be able to go and you know meet other people that are talk to the that's talk a to. that's a really interesting thought. Yeah. Uh, continuing down that brainstorming rabbit hole, uh, like I wonder if because like Discord servers are awesome, but they need moderation. Yeah, I wonder if like figuring out a way. Like, I've been trying to think of ways to to sort of get the podcast out there even more, like cra- crafting that space. 
even if that space, like if it was moderated and things cost, like we did a Patreon or something, Ooh, it was yeah. like a dollar and yeah. you're in or like yeah. something like that. Like, is any of that interesting to anyone? Yeah. Email us only podcast at gmail.com uh, because we'd love to be a space where people want to come and discuss things with yeah. us. Um, it's just, it, it's funny. Like at that point, it's, it's, it's more time that we we yeah. barely we barely have enough time as it is yeah. uh and, but we do love doing it we've been doing this for what fucking eight years yeah yeah we'll so, come up on episode 450 yeah uh, 500 will be weird I, I, we have to think of something special for that we got a lot of time for it but it's yeah. gonna sneak up on it. it's gonna be at like 496 and i'll be like oh shit <laughs> it's like oh man now it always it's... happens much quicker than you think yeah. it does like it, you always like in my mind i'm always like well that's 50 weeks away that's a year away yeah and then all of a sudden it's like oh shit it's yeah. coming right up Anyway, thanks for letting us rant and have a little mini-meeting on the end of that podcast. Uh, next week, I believe, we'll be talking about uh, t- Teenage Mutant Nanja. Hero Turtles. What? Yeah, I've learned uh, from a friend, uh, Joseph, over at Real Life Lore, talking to Brian of Real Engineering. Uh, it, Brian uh, is from Ireland, and in Ireland, they couldn't say the word ninja. Oh. So they it was uh, because it, of the accent. No, because of uh, it was like too violent for kids. They thought oh. it was a weird thing. And again, I've, I'm learning the story between like three different people. So if I'm getting this wrong, I apologize. I'll yeah. have to ask these people. But the, so they even changed the song. It was here. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Whoa. Heroes in a half shell. What Turtle do they say? Power? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we're not doing that. I just thought it was a fun piece of trivia. We're doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, uh, the Seth Rogen. Uh, which we uh, saw together with my son. Which was random, too. We'll get into that story when we get to that story. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about that film. Uh, yeah. So thanks so much. And we'll talk at you then. Talk to me. Let us in. Let us in. Let us in. If you Invite us in right now. I promise it won't get weird. Bye, everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs>